Um, good morning, I'm Myrtle Mohart, and today we'll be reading from Matthew 9, 35 to 38, uh, which can be found on page 814 of your Pew Bible. Um, I will, I will conclude the scripture with, uh, this is the word of God. If you will respond, thanks be to God. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. This is the word of God, Lord. Thanks, Myrtle. Let's pray one more time as we get started. Father, we thank you so much um, for the ability to gather, the ability to open your word and, and to see what you say. Lord, be with us as we enter in this time. Clear our hearts and our minds to be able to receive this and uh, just open us up for what you have today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen Ellison. I am the uh, minister to children and youth here at Hope Community Church. And I am uh, really thankful to be able to bring the message here this morning. So, as we just read, we are going through uh, Matthew chapter 9. If you've been here for the last few weeks with us, we've been walking through a short series on the topic of hope. As we've recently changed our name to Hope Community Church, we kind of walked through uh, the hope that Christ has for us, the hope that brings to our past, to our present, to our future, and why that's, uh, why that's such an amazing thing that we can share with others. Today, we're going to be picking back up with our series through the book of Matthew, which is what we were doing before that, and we've been walking through for a little over a year now. And it's kind of interesting because we're going to continue on with that idea of a hope that's really uh, very much worth sharing. So as we've walked through Matthew in, in chapter 8 and 9, we've seen stories of Jesus doing incredible miracles, uh, doing these incredible acts uh, and healings and, and things that, that, that should just blow us away as we read them for the very first time. We've talked about how we've seen Jesus' authority in these things, right? So Jesus' authority over things of the physical world, over the weather, over illnesses, things over the spiritual world, like, like casting out demons and forgiving of sins. Where we're at in the book of Matthew today, at the end of chapter 9, we're kind of rotating. We're moving from this section that's talking about Jesus' authority and giving us some evidence of that. And we're going to move into a section in chapter 10 where we start to see Jesus place that authority on his disciples so that they have the ability to do the works that he's been doing, so that they follow in the work that he's been doing among the people. So as we kind of go into that today, our passage is a little bit of a transition piece. It's a little bit of this middle ground. It's a little bit of the place where that starts to shift. So as we walk through chapter 9, after we, are, we walk through these last four verses here, we're going to see um, what the work that Christ is doing is. We're going to see the heart that he does those things with. And we're ultimately going to see what he says the greatest need of these people are and, and what the answer is to that. As we walk through this, we're going to see what a Christ-like heart looks like as it responds to a broken and hurting world. So I think the best way for us to walk through this is to take a couple of verses at a time. It's a short passage, uh, and, and we'll just kind of walk through it 
um, pretty slowly. So, Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 35, it says, And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want us to notice a couple of things uh, early on in that passage. First, the work that Jesus is doing is he's, he's going through the kingdom, or he's going through the, the, the towns and the villages, proclaiming the kingdom of God and looking after the physical needs of those who are coming to him for help, right? So as he walks through and proclaims the good news about the kingdom of God, this isn't something that's like new, right? We see this early on in the book of Matthew. Jesus does this after his baptism, after his time in the wilderness being tempted. He goes out and he begins to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand, right? We see uh, John the Baptist do the same thing later on in chapter 10. That's what Jesus is going to tell his disciples to go and do and to tell them that, to tell the world that this kingdom has arrived, and he does this tirelessly. Cities, villages, synagogues, goes on and on and continues to teach and proclaim this good news of hope to the world around him. And it says he goes through and heals every disease and every affliction. As we read through passages like this and we hear miracle after miracle, story after story, it's really easy to kind of like grow numb to the amazing feats that are being going on here. So I had a professor in seminary as, as he kind of walked through this passage Man, there's like half a line. If you're in our pew Bible on 814, it is literally one line that says, and healing every disease and every affliction. If we stop and think about that, like, oh, it's so easy to read past. That's a mass miracle that's going on, right? What's happening is, is the equivalent of somebody like walking into, you know, St. Luke's or Children's Mercy or some local hospital and room by room clearing the place out. Room by room, walk, walking people out the door, going free, going healed, not to be sick again. That's, that's the story that my kind of professor would kind of walk through with this. And, and just to think about that, just think about a place where so many people are gathered broken, so many people are gathered injured, so many people are gathered hurt, and one by one they walk away free, they walk away healed, they walk away whole. It's astounding. And if we're not careful, we read past that pretty quickly. But that's the work that Jesus is doing here, right? He's proclaiming a good news of hope to a world that needs it. And he's healing the broken. He's binding up the sick. He's there for the afflicted, performing miracles on an absolutely massive scale. The second thing I want us to notice is how Jesus responds in his heart as he does these things, right? As he looks out over these crowds of people who are broken, who are sick, who are ill, who are, are afflicted, who are coming to him. What's his heart attitude, right? What, what, what's, what does he feel towards them? He feels compassion. For most of us, I think, like, the idea of, like, people crowding in on us wherever we go, like, that's not an easy thing to jump towards, right? Like, if you even imagine, like, celebrities as they walk out and can't do their own grocery shopping, right? As people press on and on, like, to take pictures or whatever, you don't, you don't imagine that most of them feel, like, compassion, right? Like, probably most of us, if we're in that situation, what are we going to feel? We're going to feel annoyance or aggravation, maybe pride. Jesus looks out and, 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 and sees them sees these masses of people who are following him, wanting something from him, needing something from him, and he feels compassion. Why? If we look at Jesus' ministry, right, we can, we can find a lot of answers to why he feels 
compassion for them, right? He has compassion over people's physical needs. He heals. He, he looks after. We see that he has compassion over physical neediness, over illness, over uh, uh, oppression that they face, over the weakness from physical limitation, from spiritual oppression, from the dark days that they're in. Jesus has shown compassion for all of these things throughout his ministry. But the text gives us a specific reason why he feels compassion for them. And it says that he looks out and he sees, he sees that they're harassed and helpless. He sees that they're sheep without a shepherd. What he sees is that, that these are people who are directionless, hopeless, oppressed. They are people with no leadership and, and nowhere to look in their emptiness. No one to point them towards mercy and grace. No one to point them to hope. This picture of um, this picture of sheep without a shepherd is actually pretty common in the Bible. It's pretty common, especially in the Old Testament. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in Ezekiel chapter four, which was already read for us in our prayer time, which is kind of nice. So we're going to spend a good bit of time there. If y'all want to flip and keep a finger here in Matthew, um, we're going to read kind of a description of, of people who are sheep without a shepherd, people who are lacking this leadership. And what we're going to notice is when, when the Bible describes people as sheep without a shepherd, they're not, just, they're not just people who are kind of wandering, people who are a little bit confused. They're not, they're not just people who are a little bit directionless, not very efficient. These are people who are scattered and who are broken and who are hurting and who are uh, being beaten down. So let's look in, in Ezekiel chapter 34, starting with verse 1. The, the Lord of the word came to me, son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, and the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And they became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or to seek them. The description of a people who are sheep without a shepherd is a desperate one. In the Old Testament, when it's used, it's a description of a place with no political or spiritual leadership. It's, it's a description of a broken kingdom. When Jesus looks out over the crowd of people who are pressing in on him because they need something. He doesn't just see people who are confused or are people who are going just simply after the wrong things. He sees a broken kingdom. He sees people who are hopeless, helpless, and harassed. And he has compassion. You can hold your finger there. We're going to go back to Matthew and read those last two verses. Back in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the third thing I want us to notice is as Jesus sees their brokenness, 
and he has compassion on them. Let's, let's see where he kind of moves immediately. What, what, what do they need? What, what should we do in response? He, what they need is they need the sovereign action of God. Another common picture in the Bible uh, is, is this idea of harvest. And when we actually look at like references to harvest in the Bible, a lot of times when they're kind of used as this kind of metaphor, right? The description of, of judgment. It's an idea of, of people reaping what they sow, they've sown. It's, it's the time where God comes back to separate those out who are, are deserving of such a judgment, right? It's, it's actually a bleak picture. We see that in a lot in the Old Testament. We see that, actually, we see Jesus using it like that in the New Testament. But this feels a little bit different, right? This is Jesus saving people out of their brokenness. This is Jesus seeing people in a dark place and harvesting them out of it. I want us to notice this progression because I think it's pretty interesting, right? Jesus sees their brokenness and in compassion says, the harvest is ready. Maybe I'm wrong. There seems to be something here that kind of shows that the readiness to enter the kingdom of God is, is, is... it's really not in a place where it's full and, until a, a recognition of our own brokenness comes first. There's something about this idea that, that when Jesus looks out and sees this crowd of needy, broken, helpless sheep, he says they're ready. Not over people who have spent their entire lives growing like in, in, in the law. Not, not over the Pharisees. Not over the people who have studied and studied and worked and worked. You would think that's how the harvest works, right? That the people slowly grow in these good things and then they're ready. But Jesus says, no, he looks over this crowd of helpless people and says, now the harvest is ready. Now, now the harvest is ready. There's something about experienced brokenness that kind of makes it this soil that prepares us, that prepares our hearts to receive grace from the Lord. There's something about the recognition of our own need for salvation and restoration that places us where we need to be to come to know the living God. And they're there. They're there and they, they need Him. And Jesus says, many are there ready to be harvested. Many are there ready to be taken in, but there's few to gather. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Of of course, of course there's many. There's many who are hopeless. There's many who are in need of forgiveness. Many who are in need of grace. Many who are in need of mercy. Many who are in need of, of love, in need of adoption, in need of a place to go. And many who don't know how to get it. The harvest is great. They're there. There's a lot to be gathered in. There's just nowhere to take it. There's a show on TV that I've kind of like been obsessed with a little bit lately. There's a, uh, it's, it's called Aerial America. It's a documentary series that basically just, it's like helicopter footage and every episode is a new state where they just kind of like fly you around and look at interesting things in each state. It's one of those weird things that, that I don't know why, but you just like, it kind of catches your eye and you hold on to it. And as I was watching the one for the states of Kansas, it talked about the world's largest grain elevator. So I grew up in the South. I moved out here three years ago. I didn't see grain elevators. I didn't know what that was, right? So as I like, even as you go through downtown, these gigantic towers of silos, it's just kind of interesting. So this one out in Kansas, outside of Wichita, uh, the DeBruce grain elevator is the largest in the world. It's 310 silos, like 12 stories high, uh, like half a mile from end to end. The thing is undoubtedly just, just massive, um, which would make sense as you kind of think about that. Like, 
They say that it, like, if you estimated it out, it could hold so, enough flour to feed bread to the United States for the next six weeks. It's just huge. Which would make sense then to think, right, there's probably a lot of people that depend on that. If the things gets filled up, there's a lot of farmers, farmers who need that to, to kind of like take their, their harvest, right? That's the place where they take in their harvest, they place it there, it's kept safe before it's moved on to like sellers and distributors. That's, that's an essential piece in that, in that harvesting. And the story kind of goes on on the documentary how in 1998, um, there was an explosion. So undoubtedly like the grain is so dry and the dust is so fine that if it ever takes a spark... It just like sets off an explosion. And, and so that happened and it explodes from one silo to the next until it takes out the whole, the whole thing. The whole uh, grain elevator is out of commission. And the story goes on to say that within a month there's like a shortage of silo space and, and uh, farmers have nowhere to take in their harvest. They have nowhere to place it. They've worked all year long. They've brought in all this food. Every, everything they need, it's, it's there. It's a good harvest. Farmers have brought it in, they've gathered it in, it's, it's, it's perfectly fine, just sitting there waiting to be used. But there's no one to take it. There's nowhere for it to go. So, in the, so, so farmer after farmer, harvest after harvest was poured out onto the ground. It was laid to rot. It was wasted. I think a lot of us have this like natural inclination that just like hates the idea of, of waste, right? So like some of us can't throw anything away, right? And, and the idea of like wasting something like that, wasting food, wasting something that could feed hungry people, wasting something valuable, important, necessary, it just makes you squirm a little bit. The idea of that wasted harvest, it just, it just, it just, seems, it just seems like a terrible outcome, it just seems miserable. We almost kind of start to have compassion. We have compassion for farmers, right? We have compassion for, for, the, for the food itself in a way. Like. But as Jesus looks out over the crowd, he sees a harvest of, of human souls wasting. Ready to be taken in. Ready, needing hope. Needing salvation. Needing adoption. Needing all these things from Jesus. They, they, they need it. But they don't have it. They're separated. They, they, don't, they don't know him. Wasting. No wonder Jesus has compassion. We have compassion for things when we think about the weight of, of souls. Rotting. That should move us to compassion. That should move us to a place of, 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 of desire to see something fixed there, to, to see what should happen. And so your natural question should be, oh, so, so what, what should we do? And notice what Jesus says I should do. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and, and the laborers are few, so what should you do? You should, you should pray to the Lord of the harvest. You should pray for him to send out laborers. Our natural inclination and what we would think the answer would be, right, would be uh, the, the, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, so go be laborers. And, and Jesus will say something like pretty similar to that later on. But the first thing he says, the initial thing he says, the most important thing he says is, he says, go to the Lord of the harvest. Go to the sovereign God who's in charge of all of it. Because when we look out in the world around us, right, and we see these, the, we see these, these 
people like this. Like, like when we think of crowds in our mind and, and we think of what Jesus is seeing and we think of that in our own lives and our own days and we think of, of the billions of people in the world, when we think of, of our own city of two million people and how many people you must pass on the interstate who go to and from their places every single day, hopeless and helpless, harassed with no shepherd. And, and, and that should draw us to compassion. And surely, surely we're called out and, and, and supposed to go and do this work, but there's no sovereignty in us. There's no power to make lasting change on our own. There's nothing in us that can make a dent in that all on our own, not in our flesh. But there's a Lord of the harvest. There's a God who is sovereign over all. There's a creator who has his hand in everything that goes on, who desires that people come to know him, to be saved by his grace and his love, who who wants to bring others in, in adoption into this family as co-heirs with Christ. There's a Lord of the harvest who is able, who's able to bring people in on massive scales, who's, who's able to solve the things that, that just tug down at the human heart so dramatically, who's, who's able to bring hope that goes beyond just this life into the next. There's a Lord of the harvest who's able to do what we're not, and the first thing we're supposed to do is go to him. And that's not like a cheap thing, right? That's not, that's not like a lazy response. That's the greatest response, to go to the God who is able to do all, to lay it at his feet, to trust, to believe that when we ask and when we, just and sitting in our pew as, as, we, as we live our lives, as we pray that God would send missionaries, that, that he would build revivals in nations that don't know his name, as, as we pray that God would bring back witnesses to places in the world that once proclaimed the name of Christ and have since left it, when we think of our own city and we pray that God would raise up churches here and plant churches and communities that need the gospel, when we think of even the, the people in this room, that God would send out people from here to go in do this harvesting when we pray that God Almighty hears that's not a lazy response that's not, that's not a, a, a passive thing that's, that's mighty, that's real that's, that's the strongest thing we could do because we're relying on the strength of a God beyond us now if we look at chapter 10 and if you want to go ahead and look at chapter 10 right, the first verse of chapter 10 is Jesus sending out his disciples to do the very work that he's been doing, right? So in verse 10 he says, And he he called them, he called to him the twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits and cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Jump down to verse uh, 7. And he tells them, And proclaim as you go, go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the exact same thing we just see Jesus doing, right? He's healing. He's proclaiming the kingdom. What does he tell his disciples to do in the very next passage? He's, he says to take care of physical needs and to, to proclaim that the kingdom is near. It's the same thing. Jesus is going to tell us that we have a responsibility to do this too, right? We have a responsibility to be a part of this. I don't know about you guys. I don't feel like I'm very good at evangelism. I feel like every time I have these conversations, I'm like stumbling over my own words. The conversations seem clunky. I'm like trying to present it all right, but at the same time, I want to seem like relational and I want to be like talking to you. I just, I don't feel very good at it. I want to be faithful in it. I want to get better at it. I just don't feel, I don't feel very good at it. And so a lot of times when I think about like sharing my faith with somebody, the thought is more about, I have not, okay, I have not done this in a while. 
I, I need to do it again. I need to share my faith with somebody. I haven't done it in a while. I need to get back out there and do it. Or if I'm thinking of a family member, I'm like, all right, I know this family member doesn't know Christ. It's been a while since I had a conversation with them about it. We should, we should do this. Yeah, we should do it. And like, there's like this movement of, of like an obligation inside of me. And like, don't get me wrong. Like, we have an obligation to share the gospel. Like, we have an obligation to do the work that the Savior's given us. So imagine, imagine with me for a second. Imagine the thing that motivated you to do that wasn't obligation, wasn't fear, wasn't frustration. The thing that motivated you to do that, imagine it being compassion. Imagine being motivated to share the gospel with that family member because you see them in their brokenness like Jesus sees us. Because you see them where they're struggling, where they're, where they're asking for hope, where they're looking for something that they don't have, where they're seeking it out but they don't know where to get it. And you can look at them and have compassion for them in that place and know that, that I know the answer. I know what they need. They don't have hope. I know where they can get hope. They're constantly anxious because, because they don't know what's going to happen. Well, I know someone who's, who's sovereign. They, they are constantly fearful because, because they, don't, they don't know how to control what, what they do. They, they feel out of control. I know a God that gives the spirit that, that, that draws you into himself. What if, what if we had compassion for their places of brokenness and said we know the answer? Not because we, we think that once they become a Christian, everything becomes just, just super easy. But because we know that it gives a hope that goes beyond this life and something supernatural happens inside of them. And we know the answer. We know what they need. We know where they can get it. And out of compassion, we're driven to show them, to tell them, to speak to them in love. Imagine a heart that's driven by compassion to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. A heart that's driven by compassion to look after the needs of others. Oh, imagine that. Oh, that's, and, and in a way that almost seems harder, right? Because now not only do we got to do these things, we've got to figure out how to do that with the right heart. And that seems even harder than it was before to some of us, right? To me, it feels that way sometimes. And the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing is we're able to do that, and we're able to do it with that heart because we've had a Savior that's done that for us. We're able to do that because these are the works that Christ has done. He sent us out as his disciples, and he's done that on our behalf. Look back at that Ezekiel passage for me in 34. Ezekiel 34. How, how does God himself respond when he looks out over sheep without a shepherd? How does God himself respond when he sees this collection of broken people who are seeking for hope, who need him? Verse 11, for thus says the Lord, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As the shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples, and I will gather them from the countries, and I will bring them to their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing lands. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. 
I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Skip down to 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd. My servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be a prince among them. I am the Lord, and I have spoken. When God looks out over a broken humanity, that's his response. I will be their shepherd. Man, uh, imagine, imagine being a first century person in the area at this time. And, and imagine, imagine hearing this prophecy. One where he feeds the sheep, He will make them lie down. He will seek the lost. He will bring back the straight. He will bring back the injured. He will strengthen the weak. And and, and he will feed them in justice. Imagine hearing that prophecy. And then imagine seeing Jesus. As he feeds thousands at a time. Imagine seeing Jesus as he tells them that he is the bread that they need for life. Imagine seeing Jesus who says, I have come to seek and save the lost. Imagine seeing Jesus who comes and says, I am leaving the 99 to come and find the one. Imagine seeing Jesus who's come to heal every affliction and every disease that they bring to him. And imagine seeing Jesus as he goes to the cross and brings the justice of God to the people as he dies for their sins. And this passage is written well after the time of David, right? This is the Lord's servant, David. This is the one that is the prince among his people. This is our shepherd. Pray that our hearts be transformed to be like that of Jesus. That that with compassion, we can look on people as Jesus looked on us with compassion as he went to the cross to bring us hope and peace and forgiveness. And let us boldly proclaim to those who don't know Christ that there is hope forever in his name. That he died on the cross to pay for our sins, to bring us into the family of God where we have a place and we belong and we are loved, and that he rose again to promise us life and hope for the life that is to come. And let us be driven to compassion People who are in the room right now who don't know Christ. We want to see them see a Christ that has compassion. And who reached out to bring them the answer for what they need. We are not saved by a compassionless Christ. So there's no reason for us to be compassionless Christians. But let us strive to recognize the brokenness in the world around us like Jesus did. And pray for God's provision so that he sends out laborers and pray that we would be among them. Let us follow in the works that Jesus has done. Help us to have compassion on those out there on the physical needs of people and over the spiritual needs of people. And make us bold to do that so that Jesus' name is proclaimed among the nations as the only answer. It's because of this hope in Jesus that we take communion every week. 
uh, celebrating his compassion for us and the free gift that he's given us to him and himself is why we take communion. We feast on the bread as his body broken for us and as the juice as his blood spilled for our lives. And we take this communion every week. We take it as believers. We take it as people who have known Jesus and proclaim him and, and, and we remember what he's done for us on the cross in this time. So if you're not a believer, we are so thankful that you're here today. We're so thankful that you've been here with us and, and that you've worked, worshiped with us. We ask that you, you take this time and, and you read some of the prayers that are on the back of the bulletin or, or that you, you, you reflect on this and pray to God. But we do say that communion is for believers as people who are proclaiming that this has been done for them. So that if, if you're not a believer here today, thank you for being here. But we're asking that this just be believers. If you didn't get any when you came in, I know that people have kind of been moving back that way. There's communion elements in the back and, and up here. Um, and we can kind of take this on our own time as the worship team kind of leads us. But as you get ready for this time and then as you eat this bread, please do it in remembrance of Christ who died for you and feed on him in your heart with thanksgiving. And as you take this juice, drink it in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you and be thankful. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the grace offered in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the hope offered in Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that even as Christians, there's often times where we feel hopeless. Lord, even in times as, as people who know you, who, who have this answer that, that the world looks for, we know that we don't feel it, but Lord, your truth is still there regardless. Lord, even in our dark days, your hope and your peace and your grace and your mercy are still among us. Your compassion doesn't change when we're afraid that it's not there. Lord, thank you for your deep compassion on us. Thank you for your deep love for us as your people and help us to have that same compassion for others. Be with us in this time of communion. Help us to remember the greatest act of compassion you showed as you died for us on the cross. Amen.